shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. Happy Friday to everybody. And it's always great to come and chat with you, spend a little time. You know, a great week. It's another time for another great show. And i got to say, hey, thanks for everybody out there. You know, last week we told you to go over to iTunes and kind of rate us. And you guys are doing that. And it's really kind of helping us out. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited for today's show. And, and keep going over to iTunes and, and, and rate the shows. And we really appreciate your help. But before we go any further, here's our guy, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm fine, man. I'm, uh, how's life there in, uh, in Vegas? Life in Vegas is good. I'm out here for the VHA Healthcare Conference. We're talking about mobile integrated healthcare. And a lot of the folks out here from the healthcare community, you know, they're, they're pretty impressed with what we're doing as a career field. And it's really kind of cool to represent and, uh, you know, share how we're working in the transition. And, and uh, I think it's really doing us some good. How about you, man? What's going on down there in Louisiana? Anything exciting? No, it's Louisiana. Is there anything exciting down there? <laughs> Not really. Uh, saving lives, stamping out disease. We're uh, we're moving well into our summer our summer weather pattern where it's uh, ninety degrees by nine a.m. So uh, I'm I'm been spending my days stewing in my own juices. Uh, trying to keep the air conditioner vents blowing on me. Um, that is a that is a lovely that is a lovely. Visual. <laughs> you love, I'm sure you love that visual. It was a good one, man. Good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go ahead and pass on the juice stewing for right now, if you don't mind. But let's go ahead and do the news instead. Go ahead and hit us with our first story. I'd like to to give a shout out to Lancaster Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Uh, and I'm assuming it's Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, um, for their support of Code Green. They, uh, for this month, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, as well as uh, EMS, week, uh, EMS Week is in May, they put us a, put a nice uh, Code Green campaign, saving public safety sticker on their ambulances, and using that as a, uh, as a uh, rolling billboard uh, to bring awareness to uh, PTSD and suicide risk uh, within emergency services, and, and I really appreciate the, the nice folks at Lancaster Volunteer Ambulance Corps for for showing their support of Code Green and and showing their support of EMS in general. So. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, you and I have, have, have tried to make 2015 the year of bringing uh, awareness to this, and and more and more, I, I get so excited. Because we start to see more and more Code Green stuff popping up in, in on the websites and, and on the Facebook pages. And now, you know, we've got a, an ambulance company that's leading by example that is putting the Code Green logo on their ambulances. And, and again, I, I echo your sentiments, man, and kudos to the folks out there that uh, took this step. And, and I think that little by little, we're going to bring awareness. And this is something that that's we can it. beat, man. This is going to be like polio. We're going to stamp this thing out. That's right. And we're going to be able to find ways that we're going to help those providers that need it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, we come up with that outlet for them that uh, they don't worry about hurting themselves anymore. And But we got to keep continue to bring awareness and that's talking right. about it and writing about it and uh, posting it like billboards, man. So And kudos to those folks out there. Yeah, that was you know that was the purpose of Code Green in the first place. 
first place is to bring awareness to it, to destigmatize uh, mental illness in, in healthcare, and, and to to make it okay to talk about. And it's becoming okay to talk about. More and more people are chiming in, sharing their stories, and we encourage them to do the same. And and uh, and encourage your your employers, your EMS agencies to support Code Green uh, or or any mental health uh, PTSD and depression awareness uh, advocacy organization within EMS. It's a good cause. I have to be 100. percent So, yeah. was that your first news story? Or do you got a news? Story yeah, there? yeah. That's uh, that's one. What you got for us, Chris? Well, let me go ahead and uh, you know I'm going to go to the tragedy that uh, just happened in Philadelphia with this train. We're seeing these more and more now that these trains are derailing. You know, whether it's passenger trains or whether it's trains that are carrying oil, or and I think that we really have to now try to think about is there going to be some type more regulation i mean they're talking about that there was supposed to be a uh, type of governor on this yeah, speed limit yeah, exactly that that dropped it to 50 miles an hour well the train was going 106 miles an hour and now they're saying that you know they were only a couple months away from putting this speed governor on and and i gotta say that people died and they were hurt and this is this is just negligence man and and uh, it'd be interesting to know if we can get anybody out there from philadelphia on the show to talk about the challenges of what it was like to uh handle the uh you know the injured on this scene like this you know i, I don't know how i would handle it to you yeah i think I think every EMS provider has those those calls where you, you think there, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, you, you hope you never respond to such an incident, and at the same time, um, you feel guilty when such an incident happens, and, and you're not there to respond. Um, you know, uh, killed seven people, uh, hurt God knows how many others. Um, uh, this is the big bad one that we all worry about. Um, I'm trying to rein in my my raging libertarian tendencies and wondering why are we still subsidizing uh, Amtrak and losing money hand over fist uh, in doing so when they can't even put basic safety equipment on their trains. Uh, this thing should have had that, that uh, speed governor. And of course, the engineer now is all, he's, he's all loggered up, can't remember a thing about the accident. And it took seven lives uh, to realize that something's wrong with that system. Yeah, I, I hope that the, the EMS providers are not uh, uh, affected by this, and this is not one, one of those things that haunts them after. I echo your sentiments that our prayers go out, but why don't you go ahead and hit us with our next story. There's a, uh, it, this is not specifically a news story on EMS1, but this is being shared quite a bit on Facebook. But there is a video going around of an uh, ambulance response in Hungary. They're in, in route to a call, uh, as I understand it. And uh, a bunch of people have shared this to my, to my Facebook timeline. It's, hey, man, what do you think of this video? Um, and after watching the video, I think uh, that guy is an absolute menace to society. Uh, if you watch this video, this guy is lane splitting. He is passing on the left, passing on the right, weaving in and out of traffic. He makes about a five-mile uh, trip to. Uh, he makes about a five-mile response in this uh, video uh, in about six minutes in crowded city streets. He's basically uh, navigating uh, congested city streets uh, at about sixty miles an hour. Um, you know, you got to give the guy props to his driving skills because you see few people with with that strong a command of, of the their ambulance, and he drives it like he stole it. Uh, he does a good job at it. Uh, the only problem is, is all it takes is one uh, motorist uh, in front of him who doesn't drive well, and you, you've just killed somebody. Right. Um, this 
Oh my God! This. Let me ask you a question. No way in heck would I uh, would I ever drive like that. Well, that's my question. I was gonna. Did you ever know? Was were you ever like that in your email? Yeah, and that, ah. that's he's lasted about five minutes of my career. I my partner and I got uh, got pulled over on my very first traumatic cardiac arrest. We didn't get pulled over. We got clocked by a state trooper uh, in a 1984 uh, Ford Econoline van with crappy steering, crappy shocks, crappy brakes, and even crappier tires going 130 miles an hour. Um, and I thought that sort of thing was fun when I was young and dumb. Um, now that sort of thing just frightens me to death and, and I, I don't, you know, I was lucky enough to, uh, to never get in an accident back then, but uh, the, the state trooper was not fond of my, uh, he was not happy with my partner. Uh, that's for sure. He he threatened to, uh, as the uh, as he put it, stomp a mud hole in his in his butt and walk it dry. <laughs> Man, you guys have some great sayings down there. Yeah, he just he said, you know, if I ever catch you driving like that again, and Mike tried to defend himself, he said, I have driven like that fast before. And he said that I was in a brand new, you know, police patrol car with good steering and brakes, not a 1975 van. <laughs> You know how fast you were going, Mike said. I'm, I'm, I went. I was going 85. He said you were going 130. And Mike said well, my speedometer goes to 85. <laughs> yeah, I gotta um, tell you, but I mean, it's you know, back in the old days, I mean, I remember driving like that, and I remember passing on the left, and I remember, you know, they don't call them speed bumps; they call them curbs. Yeah. And uh, but that's I think before you realize, you know. You know, you got to think about it. I mean, the career field at that point was what ten or twelve years old. Yeah. And we didn't think about safety, and and I, I think we now precipitate the behavior of the kids that come in today who think they could drive those ambulances like they're NASCARs, and uh, you know. But uh, you learn, you live, you learn, and uh, you know it doesn't. Like you say, it only takes a matter of time before you lose control of those things and. You really got to know the weight ratio and you yeah. know, how you're switching lanes. And you know the thing that really kind of helped me, Kelly, was the road safety system. Yeah. And you know, listening to the growls and, and hearing the beeps and and uh, realizing that I was really not only uh, jeopardizing myself, and my crew, and my patient, mm-hmm. but that I was actually breaking the ambulance down. And yeah. you know, I love my ambulance. You know, that was my office. You know, and, mm-hmm. and here I am. It's going in for more PM. You know, it has to have this replaced, that replaced, and and that was my fault, man. I was I was just uh, destroying it. Yeah, and and you know, you can drive that. You can learn to drive that road safety system or all safe or any one of the other brands of uh, of drive monitors. You can learn to drive those things and keep a, a ten on your driving score and still be the roughest ambulance driver in the fleet. Uh, you can you can literally jar your your partner's fillings loose in the back uh, and and make a, a very uncomfortable ride for your patient and still have an excellent safety score. There there's more to to driving safely uh, or there's more to driving smoothly uh, than than keeping the the force counts down on on the uh, the drive monitor, but you know, and I've had some people tell me that that uh, the response in that in that video uh, is pretty typical for European ambulances, um, and uh, the the drivers over there are, are much uh, much more skilled uh, in general than U.S. drivers. And uh, and if you look at the video, they do get out of the way uh, with with alacrity. They they move uh, on, on 
of course, you know, all it took was, was one not to move and you, you're in a nasty crash. Uh, but he didn't encounter one in that video. Um, so, you know, that may be, may work for them over there, but man, that would never, never fly in the United States. Anyone, if, if I had a partner drive me like that, especially in the back patient loaded, uh, I'd, I'd be dealing out a, a butt whipping in the ambulance <laughs> and he would not drive for me again, ever. And I hadn't seen the video <laughs> and, uh, you know, your explanation of it being, uh, uh, like, uh, Grand Theft Auto was funny. So before we put it in the show notes, I'll check it out to see, but let me give you my story, and we're starting sure. to hear these more and more too, and, and uh, we're going to go down to Darwin, Australia, where a medic was knocked unconscious by a patient in <laughs> stable condition yeah. after being punched by a patient, falling backwards, hitting his head. And, you know, I mean, I, I've grown concerned over the past couple months with the, with the officer killings, you know, I mean, yeah. the execution styles, and you know, New York City just had another uh, uh, police officer, a young kid, 20, what, 25 years old? Kid wanted to be a cop since he was four, uh, you know, and he's, he's on the job now and loses his life. And, you know, we're hearing about uh, more uh, paramedics and EMTs and, and firefighters being assaulted. And uh, it, it's really a tough time, man, and I don't know what the answer is. We really, as a leader, we've really got to be due diligent to make sure that our our folks go home at the end of their shift to their family and and kelly it's it's getting harder and harder in certain areas to say that uh, that could be possible because now and it was always the it was always the uh, uh you know the thought that we we can get hurt you know we're up on the highways you know we're good at uh you know universal precaution scene safety but we we don't maintain scene safety very well and we got these cars zipping around us and i mean we really can get hurt in any any day that we go go to work but we don't think that but now we've got to worry about being assaulted and i gotta tell you man this really troubles me yeah you know i think one of the the most jarring uh realizations for a new ems provider is is the realization that not everyone is happy to see us and not everyone wants us on scene um and plenty of people out there do not look at ems as the good guys alcohol and, and, and mental illness and, and not be in control of their faculties. But it's, it's becoming ever more obvious in the, over the last few years that, that assaults on providers uh, are commonplace. Um, no matter where you go, uh, even in Sweden, um, I remember doing, doing uh, some research for, a, uh, for an article on patient restraint uh, and, and over about three quarters of the medics in Sweden of all places, uh, reported being assaulted by patients. Um, just, you know, we've said it a million times, you got to keep your head on the swivel. Uh, you've got to be situationally aware, uh, and you have to realize that, that um, uh, danger lurks pretty, pretty much, much everywhere we go. go. It's, not the, it's not the calls where we know someone is uh, violent uh, that sneak up and get us because we didn't generally stage outside those scenes and we wait for law enforcement. It's the ones where you didn't expect violence that, that this sort of thing tends to happen. And in this case, this poor guy, uh, poor medic responds to a house party and, uh, you know, he's, he's assessing a 19-year-old drunk man and the patient punched him. Happened to all of us. Uh, in this case, he could have had some, some pretty bad consequences, um, but luckily it did not. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's the, that's the, you know, Kip, Kip uh, talks about this in, in his lectures and uh, in his uh, class. 
and uh, that's the reality of EMS now. You, you need to be uh, know how to deal with those violent scenes, you know how to avoid them first and foremost, and, and how to protect yourself when you can't avoid them, uh, and how to respond appropriately without uh, going overboard in, in self-defense. So. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought uh, Kip's name up. You know, we've had Kip T-Sword on, and we should probably have him back. It's probably time to talk to him again. And he's he's got his escaping violent encounters class. And and Kelly, you and I have both said it before on this show that that really has to be a staple. That really has yeah. to be a mainstay in every EMT course, in every paramedic course, and it may even need to be part of our continuing education. Because I think now, as we start to see this total disrespect when it comes to first responders, mm-hmm. police officers, firefighters, EMS professionals. We've got to be able to be in a position, not to knock the heck out of somebody, but just to be able to get out if we need to get out. And if you don't have that type of training, um, more and more people are going to get hurt, man. And it's just a troublesome thing. But let's go ahead and give us our last news story. What do you got? Uh, Last news story comes out of Windsor, Ontario. The Canadian Paramedics Union claimed that uh, a new policy to equip ambulances with cameras, uh, drive cams and cams uh, inside the cab, is breaching privacy laws. And the, the paramedic chief is defending the practice, saying that it's for uh, it's for safety. It's just like a dashboard camera or a, or a lapel camera on a police officer. Um, uh, it's it's to protect our medics. Uh, but the the chief of the paramedics union is saying otherwise, and he contends that it's uh, it's a, a way for uh, way for management to spy on the employees. You know my feelings on this. I, I'm not really a fan of. Uh, I, I don't know that that uh, Ian Nash, the president of the of local 2974 in Windsor, is uh, correct in his in his skepticism. Uh, but I do think that his points about making uh, the points he makes about uh, this being ripe for abuse uh, and the camel's nose under the tent, uh, if you will, uh, this is could be the first step on Big Brother watching over your shoulder. Uh, And it's something that we need to approach with some caution and some strictures on its use. He doesn't think those strictures are in place uh, and it's already, uh, they're already um, supposed, or he accuses them already of of monitoring uh, the paramedics, uh, uh, management monitoring them. Um, I know what you think, but uh, tell us, whose side are you on, man? Yeah, you know, I'm a, (laughs) You know, I'm a. You know, being an EMS chief, I have the feeling that it's a good thing to have in an ambulance. And you know, I just talked a little bit about driving the ambulance crazy when I was a youngster. And you know, when we have drive cameras, that's going to keep us from doing that. How many times have we heard that? You know, EMS has been the fault of an accident only yeah. to go to the drive cam and find out that it's not. I don't buy into this story, Kelly, that Big Brother is going to be watching and that you're taking away privacy. You know, for one, this isn't, you know, he, he, you know in his, in his uh, video uh, news story, he talks about it being a HIPAA. Well, this has nothing to do with the patient compartment. Mm-hmm. This has to do with the cab. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is if you're sitting in the ambulance and you're not doing anything wrong, what do you got to worry about? Well, you, you really don't, and 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 that's that's how I can support uh, cameras in the ambulance, um, and and 
you know, even even if a, a camera were, were filming in the in the patient compartment, uh, in the patient module, that's not really a HIPAA violation either. You go to any major medical center, and, and quite often the the trauma rooms, the resuscitation rooms, have video uh, recording and monitoring equipment in there, and you you know, right next to the light switch, you can activate the recorder. Um, that's not necessarily HIPAA violation. It's only HIPAA violation if that stuff is is released. Uh, and people outside the the patient care uh, chain um, are allowed to see it. Right. So I, I don't really think that it constitutes a HIPAA violation. And, and besides, this is in Windsor, Ontario. HIPAA doesn't apply. Um, it's a right. U.S. law. Um, but once again, it's one of these things where I can I can see the utility of it. I can see the use of of these cameras. You know the allegations made against uh, male paramedics for sexual assault, for example, you know, and, and that can be just the thing to exonerate a medic who is doing the right things, uh, yet someone uh, makes some, some unfounded allegations against him. Uh, but that's that's the, the insidious thing about it. We can all see the utility of it, uh, but what we don't see is its potential for abuse. I can also see down the road uh, when all these, when cameras and ambulances are commonplace and there comes up some issue uh, of some paramedic uh, making an error in patient care or, or something along those lines and rather than address that, in, that instance uh, with uh, remedial education and, and whatever the disciplinary process might allow, uh, some manager takes the path of least resistance and says, well, in the future, we're just not going to allow paramedics to do these things and, and you'll just use the, uh, the camera as video consult with the, with the uh, medical control physician. Uh, and and that's, it's a short step from you know, cameras for our safety and for our protection to uh, cameras uh, being used to judge, uh, second guess, and, and, and judge our, our patient care and assessment skills. And that's the thing. You know, you get it in place, uh, it's great. But the law of un uh, unforeseen consequences um, also is uh, something we're, we're not really giving a lot of thought to. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with that statement. But, uh... <laughs> well, now, now, you, I'll, I'll say you, you're, you're a manager with his head on his shoulders, okay? A good head on your shoulders. You, you probably wouldn't do this. But I'll bet right now you can think of half a dozen managers that you have worked with or worked for that absolutely would abuse that sort of technology if it were not in place. If it were in place, they would abuse it. Yeah, do you I, disagree with me? Yeah, I don't know, man. I would think that there are people out there that use any tool and they abuse any tool. So. This is true. You know, so is is that the possibility? You know, I can't sit here and say no that it's not. I think that there are people out there that uh, you know are going to be self-serving, and there are, there are managers out there, there are leaders out there that uh, have tendencies. They got ego tendencies. They got jealousy tendencies. They got you know they got do as I say, not as I do tendencies. And and uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think that is a possibility. But you know, here's the thing that it comes down to. You know, I don't even worry about the thought of. You know, paramedics having to, you know, get on the phone with medical control to say, I don't, uh, what do you want me to do here? You know, I think as the career field starts to grow now, when we start to talk about mobile integrated healthcare, when we start to talk about the transformation of EMS, we're going to be doing more and more things. And you know what? A video consult is going to be a big part of that. Well, yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's fine. You know, that, that's been in place for quite some time in remote paramedicine where, where you have a, a telemedicine uh, 
uh, link with with a medical control physician somewhere uh, back onshore. That's a different situation than your typical paramedic providing 911 care in the back of an ambulance. You know, you've got guys uh, um, in remote medicine doing doing things that are outside of your typical paramedic scope of practice, uh, and and a little you know a little extra oversight is not unreasonable there. Ian Nash, the president of the uh, of the union there, said that there's already memory cards in the dashboard cameras and he claims that management's monitoring workers. Well, you know, the camera, if you're using it for your for safety and monitoring uh, uh, and that sort of thing, it's kind of useless without a memory card. Um, if you can't pull up the, the footage, um, it's pointless having a camera on there uh, where I would kind of draw the line and that would probably be the stricture that would that would uh, uh, in place that would would win my support is if there's no real-time monitoring capability and, unless there's absolute need to do so so if you can't uh, if you can't activate that camera and look at it in real time uh, from a remote location I'd be okay with it so right now I mean Kelly Grayson yeah cameras in the ambulance yes or no <sighs> cameras in the ambulance with strict safeguards and limited use yes all right, good. Well, I'm with you, man. So when we work together, I'll, I'm going to put you in charge of that project. Yeah, all right, then. Uh, when, when my f- Legion of Flying Monkeys completes my quest for world domination, things are going to change. Hey, are they going to have a role in that world domination? I mean, we've, yeah, we've been yeah, partners for a bit now. I mean, do I get something? Yeah, you will be you will be on the uh, on the protected roles and uh, okay. spare the re-education camps, and uh, I'll I'll find some place for you in my new world order. Oh, I promise. Good to hear. Good to hear. So I know there'll be good food. That's all I'm thinking. But yeah. so let's go ahead and transition, Kelly, and let's go ahead and go to our clinical issue. And we really don't have a clinical issue this time. And you and I have two different roles as a chief of a department. Mm-hmm. You as a, a, a you know in the workforce. And EMS Week is coming up, and, and I'm always excited about EMS Week. And, you know, EMS Week is the third week in May. It used to be in September, and they moved it to May. And, you know, now uh, the, the slogan for this year is EMS Strong. And there's been so many things that have gone on in EMS. You know, talk about, uh, you know, talk about Ferguson. You talk about Baltimore. You talk about, you know, a lot of the things that really have brought us together as a career yeah. field. And I think that this EMS Week really has a... Uh, it really has a, a strong mission that we've got to get out and tell this story because there's just so many great things that have happened in our career field. Well, I have a different take on EMS Week. Uh, actually, I think in the United States we do EMS Week totally backwards. Every year in in the third week of May, we spend one week advocating for our profession, uh, standing out there and, and being publicly visible, uh, uh, filling the boot or, or checking blood pressures at Walmart, or doing public uh, advocacy and, and awareness and doing EMS on the hill and all that kind of stuff for one week of the year. And then the other 51 weeks of the year, the public is content to forget all about us. Our, our elected representatives are content to forget all about us. Uh, they know that, that that third week in May, uh, they're going to pose for a few pictures and then they're going to make us an afterthought once more. Um, I think we're doing it backwards. I think we need to be passionately advocating for EMS uh, 51 weeks a year, and the third week in May, we need to take it all off and just veg. <laughs> go go sip a drink with, with an, an umbrella, umbrella on a beach somewhere or, or whatever it is we got to do uh, and take that week off. But we need to be advocating for EMS the other 51 weeks of the year and, and use EMS week as our vacation. 
Yeah, it's an interesting concept, and I really enjoy uh, you know I really enjoy that analogy, and I think that that needs to be true. And you know, you know, you hear about people calling us you know calling us ambulance drivers, and you hear about you know physicians who say, "I didn't know you guys can do that." And it really comes down to the lack of education that we've given our our, our communities and that we've given our our, our peers in the, in the hospital systems, and and you know maybe it's part of that disrespect we get uh, when we walk in those places anyway that we don't want to share anything about our career field with them. But you know I, I kind of like your thought that it needs to be more than just a one week of of uh, you know bringing the awareness to EMS, but. With that said now, I want to ask your opinion because, you know, I always try to find ways to be creative in bringing a great EMS week to the folk. And until we move into the new world order, that we can have EMS week the way that you're going to write it into the Kelly Grayson constitution of the new world. Um, what, what, what constitute? I mean, how would you want your leader to define a, a positive EMS week for you and uh, what is it that you would look for to say, you know what, th- these guys really support what we do and they have our back? Um, I, I would prefer, like I said, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily need anything from my employer during EMS week other than a break. Uh, <laughs> you know, throw us a, throw us a crawfish boil or, or uh, a, a burger, a barbecue or something like that uh, and let us get out there and, and vent and relax when we're off in general and, and doing advocacy on duty uh, in between calls. That I, I wouldn't mind that a bit uh, if they uh, if they showed me some appreciation during EMS week and just let me, uh, let me put my feet up a little bit. Um, let's have a one-week hiatus from system status management. Let us post at the dadgum ambulance station and watch television in between calls instead of sitting in an idling ambulance on a street corner somewhere. That would, that would be wonderful for me. <laughs> but uh, is it going to happen? Uh, I, I doubt it. Uh, I highly doubt it. I, I think what EMS week these days uh, exists that for is, is for EMS people to, uh, um, we take it fairly seriously, uh, but the rest of the healthcare profession uh, takes it uh, as a, a one-week opportunity to pay lip service to EMS and, and to placate us and then ignore us for the rest of the time. What we're going to get this week, uh, we're going to get some, somebody's going to cook us some sloppy joes, and the sloppy joes will be made, over, made from the leftover hamburger buns and meat from Nurses Week and the leftover chili from Hospital Week, uh, and we're going to get some cool pens, and the day crews will get some food and perhaps a cake from the ER staffs, uh, and the night crews will get crumbs uh, and, and an empty cake tray with crusted frosting on the bottom of it, uh, and, and that's how it'll go for the, in, uh, the duration of EMS week. <laughs> You need you need a hug, don't you? I'm a I'm a little I'm a little bitter. Yeah, you know? but like that's that's the way it goes. That, that like is the way it goes. A little cuddle, man. It sounds like you're in need of a little cuddle. But yeah, uh, I'll probably do. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that we tried to do is to make sure that whatever goes on during the day is there for the night people as well, and you know they're part of this process and. You know, just because you come in at four o'clock in the morning and start cooking breakfast, uh, you need to think about those people that are, you know, coming on at ten o'clock and eleven o'clock and, and twelve o'clock at night. And uh, you know, so I have to agree with you hundred percent there. You know, I think one and of the I'll, thi- I'll, uh, I'll I'll give my my local management team some credit. Um, 
at some point during MS week, if, if food is distributed, there is going to be something in, in our station refrigerator for the nine crews. So they're, they're not going to leave us out. The EMS people understand the, the plight of the night shift worker, so they won't leave us out. It's, uh, it's all the cool stuff that uh, the hospitals and the nurses do. Um, uh, apparently, they think that EMS uh, only happens from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on weekdays. So. Yeah, well, we gotta love those people. We gotta love. Them. We're, all, we're all brothers and sisters. Hey, you know, one of the things that I think we forget about, though, Kelly, that I wanted to kind of bring uh, awareness to is um, EMS EMS for Children's Day during EMS Week, and that's yes. that's always Wednesday of EMS Week, and it, it's the time that we focus our attention to to the children. And I don't know that we do this well enough as a career field. And I don't know that we promote it well enough as a career field, but every Wednesday during EMS week is EMS for Children's Day. And we really have to start to bring awareness. We really have to start focusing on those on the kids. You know, one of the things I've done in the past is we've had our folks go out and read stories to the, you know, to the schools, to the kindergartners and, and talk about uh, EMS and, and when you call 911. And, you know, we certainly had those programs throughout the year, but we, we really kind of focused on it then. And I just don't want that to get lost in this year's EMS week, that yeah. we need to remember that EMS, uh, uh, EMS for Children's Day on Wednesday of EMS week. Yeah, and the, that's, uh, that's uh, a cause near and dear to my heart as well. Um, in my uh, tenure as an EMS bureaucrat, uh, that's what I did for, for Louisiana. I was director of our, uh, our EMS for Children's program uh, for for state of louisiana for about a year um and before and involved with them pretty extensively before i took over as director so uh yes we we you know kids kids are, are all too often uh pediatric care and, and pediatric issues and ems is all too often considered an afterthought uh and uh and and it's telling because uh, you poll any EMS providers and they'll tell you ask them what the most stressful calls are and they'll say calls involving kids because we're, we're, we're not educated well on them uh, and uh, that that sort of thing is what EMSC is, is all about um, is advocating and, and, and increasing educational opportunities uh, for pediatric issues. Yeah, that's a whole other show that we got to probably bring in. Oh, yeah. And maybe we bring Dr. Antebi on and, and yeah. I know he's a fan of the show so I'm here and Lou, Lou Romick she, oh she yeah, even, yeah. Dr. Roman would be another good one. But here's one of my here's one of my thoughts when it comes to that, and I've said it before. When I was the chair of the EPC course for NEMT, that was one of my starting arguments was the fact that, you know, what's the number one call that gives the paramedic trepidation, and that's the pediatric call. Yep. And that's where the EPC course came in. And for you guys out there, if you're looking for a great course. You know, get in touch with NAMT, get in touch with your regional coordinators, and uh, get that EPC course because, you know, it, it's going to teach you how to manage the patient. It's going to teach you pathophysiology, but, you know, this isn't a commercial for the EPC course. But here's one of the things that I take umbrage to is if you know, if you know that this is what gives you trepidation. Why you, aren't you being exactly, proactive about Every uh, single day until that becomes a strength, I don't mm -hmm. ever want to hear you know, if you come in and tell me that you have trouble with pediatrics, I am going to do everything I can as a leader to make sure that you feel comfortable with it. But when a mother hands you a three-month-old that's in cardiac arrest, that's not the time for you to figure out you don't feel comfortable with that pediatric arrest. Exactly. Exactly. You need to, you know, we, we, we think so much about, we, we drill, we, we 
game plan. We, we obsess so much about adult cardiac arrest. Uh, Pretty much any paramedic can recite uh, at will the drug dosages for adults in cardiac arrest and, and dual settings and, and uh, pit crew CPR roles and so on and so forth. But you, you ask them to do the same thing for pediatrics. Uh, and not only do they not know the dosage, which is not all that bad a thing, uh, it's, it's hard to remember everything's uh, being weight-based, but they also are not really conversant on, on how to get, uh, how to use their references. Things like, uh, you know, uh, the hand-heavy uh, system or a Braslow tape. Or right, a I was just going to say that. Uh, they, the, that's something that's stuck in the box and they, they never uh, never think to use until the, the day they actually need it. Um, right. So, yeah, you know, they need to, uh, we, if it scares us, it's one of the things we need to face until it doesn't scare us anymore. You know, one of the things that you bring that up is, is when you talk about weight-based and the medications for pediatrics, mm-hmm. and I did a great uh, innovation zone for EMS-1 on, on the hands-heavy uh, pediatric system, and, and, yeah. and, you know, Dr. Antevy shared with me a video one time, and I forget how old his boy was, but I, 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 he was really young, and like under 10 years old. And, you know, Dr. Antevy was asking him, what's the, what's the dose of epinephrine for a patient who weighs this? And the kid is rattling off. It, so <laughs> it's just proof of the system that works. So, so easy, even a fourth grader. Even a kid can do it. Right? Are you smarter than a fifth grader kind of thing? But you yeah. know what, Kelly? As we think about as we think about our time, we probably should think about closing. And you know, I just want to make sure that everybody has a great EMS week, and uh, we look forward to bringing you another great episode next week. And guys, thanks thanks as always for tuning in to uh, Inside EMS. Uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, EMS week will be uh, uh, upon us, May 17th through the 23rd. So take the week to, uh, to pat yourselves on the back uh, and advocate to your profession. Uh, look out for your co-workers. And for myself and co-host Chris Cevallero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS, and we'll catch you guys after EMS week.